All right. Sometimes you have those things you should do, those things you need to do, and then you have those things you want to do. And typically you should do the things you should do and you need to do, but sometimes it's more fun to do the things you want to do. I'm not saying that that's a philosophy you should always adopt because sometimes the things you want to do is not the right thing to do. And I don't know if this is going to be the right thing to do, but this morning we're going to do what I want to do, not what we need to do, because we know what we need to do this morning, right? We need to finish Mark chapter 2, right? We need to get back to Romans, right? We need to finish our observational reading of Amos, right? I mean, we've got a lot of things we need to do, but I'm throwing all of that out and not following any of those rules because we have something I want to do, and that's the direction we're going to go. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know a couple of, I think it's been, it feels like a couple of weeks now. Um, there's always a new series that I'm starting, even though I, I don't think it's going to become a series, but everything becomes a series. I started a broadcast by asking everyone to give me three things that young people need to be taught today in the church. Three things that young people need to be taught in the church. And the reason I asked that question is because we started reviewing sermons preached at a youth conference in Indiana just a, about a month ago, all right? And so I, I started reviewing all of these sermons preached at a youth conference because I, I, I typically find myself in vast disagreement with how most, most churches approach youth ministry, right? I, I'm not a fan of youth ministry. I don't like the way it's done. It's like a dumbed-down Christianity. They teach moralism and actually, I think, teaching theology. It's just, ugh. They treat the young people like they're too dumb to be able to figure out anything. I hate that whole thing, right? I think that the young people can handle the same theological lessons the adults can. In many cases, they probably can handle it better. And so I just don't like that. I don't like to pressure the youth, manipulate the youth, mess with them. I just treat them like any, any other person, and I teach them the same way I teach everyone else. So I'm always in opposition to the way most churches do things. But I always find it interesting to listen to what young people are being taught, right? I love to hear the youth conferences and go, okay, oh, well, okay, why are they teaching young people that? Why do they think that's so important? So I'm always fascinated by it. So I decided to, because what happened in one of my podcast apps, I saw Youth Conference 2022. So I hit play, and then immediately in the first episode, they claimed that this is the most influential youth conference in the world, coming to us from First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. And I'm like, okay, the most influential youth conference in the world? Well, I better tune into this because they clearly know, they know what they're doing, right? They know what they're doing. So we started reviewing the sermons, and I can't really, I can't really describe, I, I don't really know what their point is in any of their sermons. I know this, their point is definitely not to handle the text of Scripture. I can definitely tell you that. But I don't even really know, like from each sermon, if I, w- if I was to try to summarize their point, I, w- I would be left with very, like, I don't even really know what the thesis is in any of their messages. It's just, it's like a train wreck of epic proportions. I'm like, what is this? Well, last night, I think it was last night, I started reviewing, I think it was session four. Session four of one of their messages, and they were preaching in Acts chapter 16. And after watching what they did with Acts 16, I'm still perplexed, right? I'm still confused, but it, I could not leave it alone. I could not leave it alone. So most of the night I kept thinking, 
Acts 16, Acts 16. We've got, we've got to do something with this. Now, I'm still in the middle of reviewing that sermon, and I'll try to finish that this afternoon. But I'm like, I'm going to detour from reviewing the sermon to us handling Acts 16. Because this is the way I kind of approach I listen to sermons all the time, and this is the way I always approach it. Whether I like the sermon, whether I dislike the sermon, whether I agree with the sermon, or whether I disagree with the sermon, I just like the idea that the sermon gives me a text that I may not have chosen to study, and then it forces me to reconsider the text. Even if I disagree with their perspective, if they give me a definitive perspective, it forces me to do what? Reconsider my perspective. So, so I'm always, I don't care how bad the sermon is, I always take something from a sermon because I'm like, okay, if they actually get to the text. Now, if they have basically avoid the text, it drives me absolutely crazy. So we're going to spend some time this morning, maybe even in the next hour, trying to figure out Acts 16. If you listen to the podcast, you know that they had a very unique reading of Acts chapter 16. A very unique perspective that I'm not going to tell you right now. At some point, I may let you know how they've read it, but I don't see it that way. I'm I'm just confused. So if you did not hear it, then I'm starting with an audience who has no clue how they read it. So I'm going to try to see what you think is the correct way to, to understand this and then see what we can do with the passage. Does that make sense? Now, the passage has everything to do with a demon-possessed woman, right? Emma is our demon-possessed woman today, okay? Now, I I was going to give her her lines to stand up and yell out at just weird times, but I didn't have an opportunity to rehearse with her. But I was going to say, hey, right here, stand up and just scream this out, okay? But I I didn't have a chance. But she's the demon-possessed woman, okay? Everybody got that? So Emma's demon-possessed today. Most of everyone already knew this, but okay, now we definitely know it. All right, she's the demon possession. So what we're going to call this, this is maybe part one. It may turn into part two, part four, who knows how many. We're going to call this a damsel possessed. A damsel possessed. Now everyone knows the definition of the word damsel. What is it? You can look it up. You can use Google. Look it up. Look up damsel. Everybody's like, yeah, I know the definition. And then everyone starts saying different things. Okay, no. What's the definition of damsel? A young, unmarried woman. Emma's young. Far as I know, she's not married. Does anybody know something I don't? She may have something, you know, on the down low that we're not aware of. Okay. All right. Okay. As far as we know, she's not. So she's the perfect demon-possessed woman, right? And, and most people who are demon-possessed are women, right? Uh, I'm, I'm joking. A damsel possessed. Okay, a damsel possessed. And that's a little play on words. A damsel in distress. A damsel possessed. See, come on. Y'all got to think that that's clever, right? No? Okay. Now, but let, now, here's the reason I'm going with that title. Go to Acts chapter 16. That's my title. A damsel possessed. Because the title of the message that I reviewed was Satan's Hopes. And I was a little perplexed by their title. Because you know where I, what do I always say about giving a section a title? 
should come from the text, right? And so it's interesting they call it Satan's hopes because Satan is not mentioned in the entire text. So I always, that, that already got me like, wait, where, where is this from? But let's read this and you'll see why I'm calling this a damsel possessed. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Everybody ready? We're going to have a little bit of fun and hopefully figure something out. Here we go. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain, next word, oh wait, that's where my title came from, right? A damsel possessed, because it literally says, <laughs> damsel possessed, aren't I so smart? Okay, right. all right, with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. We got a lot here to work on. The same followed Paul. So we have Emma. She's the demon-possessed woman, right? She's following Paul around. And what does she just cry out at certain times? Just at random times, Emma just stands up and screams, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. That's what I was going to have Emma just stand up and scream out at different times in the sermon. Right? I I think she could have committed to it. I think she could have pulled it off. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, I found it interesting that the sermon was called Satan's Hopes, but the, the one time the word hope is used, whose hope is it referring to? The master is not Satan. So already, just from a purely just listening to sermons and analyzing sermons, I was already a little perplexed. How do we get there? Okay. But they have a very interesting reading of this. So what we're going to do is try to figure this out. We're going to try to figure this out, and we're going to try to understand it. All right? Mainly because, not just because I'm, I have a different opinion, just because their different opinion made me question my reading of the text. So I want to challenge it, but I don't want to give it away that, hey, this is wrong and I'm right. I want to say, let's work on it and see what conclusion we all come to. So everybody ready? All right. So before we can do anything else, guess what we have to do? We got to forget about the demon-possessed woman, right? We got to forget about her for now. Because what do we do whenever we have a passage of scripture like this? Well, you all know basic hermeneutical rules. What do we need to do? Come on, what's, what's a, a very good first step here? We've got to find out the context here, right? We've got to figure out kind of what's going on. You can't just jump in the middle of a chapter and go, boom, like here's a demon-possessed woman. We've got to figure out what's going on. So let's, let's just kind of ba- break the chapter down, okay? Everybody ready? Let's go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 16, verse 1. What do we have occurring in verses 1 through 5? Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to try to be very careful not to lead you into any conclusions. What do we find here? All right. Stephen refers to this as Timothy joining the crowd. Okay. Or, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Are you changing it? Paul and Silas joining the crowd. What is, what is that? Timothy. 
Okay, everyone look at it and you tell me. Right. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, right? And behold, a certain disciple. Who's the he? All right. Everybody thinks that's Paul? 40 and 41 mentions Paul. Agreed. So we have Paul. He comes to where? Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named, right? Timotheus or Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported to the brethren uh, that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So something's going on. What, What does Paul do here? He circumcised Timothy. Why does he circumcise Timothy? Didn't want it to be an issue. Now, we could say, was this a right thing to do or a wrong? We could have a big debate here, right? Is this a right or wrong? On one hand, we know he doesn't have to be circumcised, right? On the other hand, if you can relieve, if you can alleviate issues by doing this, it's nothing wrong to be circumcised. So... It wasn't required, so is he just trying to alleviate any problems, right? Like sometimes the Bible refers to giving up our rights and our liberty for the sake of others, right? So is that, we could have a whole discussion here, but we can see what's going on. What else happens? Verse 4 and 5. They went through the cities. They delivered them uh, to, the, 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 if I can preach correctly, delivered the, to them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. I want you to please pay close attention to verse 4. They're going through the cities, right? Paul and Timothy are going through the cities. Agreed? As they go through the cities, what happens is you keep going into each city preaching these messages. What begins to happen just from a purely humanistic perspective? What happens? Well, tr- well, true, but I'm saying just from a, a just d- don't look at it spiritually in any way, shape, or form. What just happens in a very practical way as they go from city to city, city to city, preaching? Okay, they gain fame, they gain notoriety, they gain popularity. Let's use a more modern phrase: they go viral. Right, they're going viral. In fact, look at the next verse. And so were the church established in the faith and increased in numbers daily. They're going around preaching and what's happening? Well, no, no, no. Numbers. What happens with numbers? More numbers, more popularity. More power. More fame. We can't deny that, right? I mean, we just ended the era of Rick Warren who, st- who stepped down at Saddleback, that, that church started with like a small Bible study in an apartment complex of like 40 people. Has over 20,000 people attend each week now. That's insane. What happened when it started growing in numbers? Who became the so-called expert now in how to grow a church? 
Rick Warren, right? Purpose-driven church. He took his model. Hey, this is what we did here to go from a Bible study of 20 to 20,000. And then every pastor in any broken down small church was like, look, we've got to follow that. He became well-known. This is so critical to the context. All right. So they're becoming well-known. Is that covers verses one through what? Four or five. All right. What happens in verse six through 10? Okay, they were going to go somewhere else, but they were stopped by God. Can we all agree with that? All right. What happens in, uh, that's, that's verse 6 and 7, right? Okay, then at Troas, there's a vision. And what does that vision say in verse 9? So now he's being, supposedly he has this vision. Because God at this time is speaking in ways outside of the Bible, which we don't believe is occurring today, right? And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, surely gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. So where are they going now? A different region. And when they go into a different region, what's going to happen? More fame, more recognition. There's no way to get around that. I'm not saying that Paul's motives are wrong. I'm saying that the more places you go and the more you preach and the more well-known you become, there becomes a certain level of fame, a certain level of notoriety. What happens when you gain fame and notoriety? There can be jealousy, but there's something else that can happen. Okay, let me break it let me break it down. Let me break it down in the most fleshly way possible, okay? If you are let's go back to high school. Let's go to that period of time, right? If you're in high school and here's someone super popular, everyone loves, everyone likes, if somehow you're connected to that person, what happens to you? You get a little bit of the benefits from it, right? People may leave you alone. People may look at you differently because, hey, you're connected to the most popular person, right? So what happens when someone is popular in fame? People want to connect themselves to that, right? Now, once that popularity goes, everyone will abandon ship faster than, than you can. I mean, just I'll, I'll give you an example within the church. When Mark Driscoll was on the rise, everyone wanted to be connected to Mark Driscoll. When the Mars Hill bus broke down and burst into flames, everyone ran as far as they could away from Mark Driscoll and then wanted nothing to do with him and then condemned him, even though they were condemning some of the things that they were praising months earlier. Oh, I hate that. When you're, when you're popular, you can't do anything wrong, but when, when things go wrong and you make a mistake, then you're a piece of garbage and everyone then condemns you. Oh, that's so messed up. Meaning they never cared about you in the first place. They, oh, yeah, don't even get me started on the way that works in the church, right? You're great when you're on the pedestal, but when you fall down, nobody wants to help pick you back up and put you back on the pedestal. They just want to kick you into the, you're bleeding, and then they just walk you and leave you left in the mud. Okay, that whole oh, the way Christians handle themselves sometimes. But we saw that with Mark Driscoll. We've seen that with so many other pastors, right? But when you're popular... We're right there with you. We're right there with you. Okay? Now, let's see what happens. So they're going to go to a new area. What happens in verse 11? They go to more places. 
I want you to keep, continue to see this. More places. Do we see that? And uh, from thence, where do they go? Uh, verse 12. The chief city of Macedonia. Remember the vision? And we, uh, we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto a woman which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a, sell, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she brought us saying, if we have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So we have a story of what here? Salvation. Story of salvation. Okay. Then what happens in verse, uh, and then all of a sudden, what happens in verse 16? The change, the scene changes dramatically, right? We go from Lydia a woman whose heart is opened by God to Emma, the demon-possessed woman, right? It's a dramatic change in narrative. Wow, a woman saved, a woman possessed. We have a contrast kind of beginning. I think that's kind of interesting, yes? Is it significant in understanding it? Not, not completely significant. So let me ask you this. On one hand, why do you think it's not significant? On one hand, what would make you think, okay, well, I don't want to read too much into this. What would give you an argument for not reading too much into this? Well, because of the nature of the book. The book is, what is the book doing all throughout Acts? Just recounting historical narratives, right? It's just giving you narratives. So it gives you one scene, and then it gives you another scene, then it gives you Another thing, the nature of the, of, the, of the literary style is just like, here's what happened. Then here's what happened. Then here's what happened. Now, if you're not careful, you can try to go to that and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, it's like, you know, like a conspiracy theorist with their board and they've got newspaper clippings with, you know, lines going from here to here trying to connect it all. So on one hand, you can try to connect it going, ooh, look what they're doing. On the other hand, you may be actually reading something that's not actually there. So that would be an argument about not making too much out of it. However, it's hard not to at least see the interesting contrast, right? Here's Lydia, saved. Next thing, we have a demon-possessed woman. It's interesting they're just put back-to-back. Agreed? Now, they may be put back-to-back for what reason? Just the, that's the, the way the events occurred. Right? I mean, does the text say, hey, pay attention here. I'm going to make this very interesting contrast. Doesn't say that. So preachers come along and then make the interesting contrast. And you sit there in a pew going, ooh, that is awesome. Well, it may be awesome because the preacher just made it up. Right? The text doesn't tell me. It could just be, we went from this event to this event. And there's nothing great spiritual significance about it. Preachers love to find these things because it preaches good. What do I always complain about with sermons? Someone said a lot. Okay, that's, that's, that's so nice of them. Okay. 
My complaint about sermons is so many times sermons are designed to keep you from the text, not take you to the text. That what that people in the pew want is a good sermon, not necessarily a good study of the text. A sermon should never keep you from the text. The sermon should always lead you to the text. And look, I I know I look, I know the struggle. Right? Because if I can give you a good sermon, right, where I can organize it nice and neat, and I've got a good opening illustration, and I've got some strong points in the middle, and then I got that powerful emotional conclusion, I'll probably get you to tell me that it was a good sermon. But a good sermon does not always mean you walk away knowing the text. Does everyone understand the difference there? A good sermon means I, I you know what a good sermon means? It means that I followed all of the rules that you're given in speech class. What are the basic rules in speech class? Eye contact. Connect with the audience. A powerful intro that hooks the audience. Right? Got to get, got to hook them. Right? Make sure that I use inflection. Right? Got to use inflection in the voice. Right? Give a, 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 a an, an air of confidence. But don't be too cocky where you look like you're above the people, but you're relatable. Okay, and then make sure I bring it home with a, a good close that people will remember what was said and feel something. I know all the rules. I, I've had to take speech class way too many times, right? Okay, I know all those rules. And then I guess what I'll get? Oh, that was a great sermon. Now, there's so many times I've been in a church where people are like, that was a great sermon, and I'm in the car going, uh, what was great about that? Because I still don't have a clue what the text was about. Now, there's times in my life where I wanted to preach great sermons. Because it, there's nothing better to have everyone walk by going, that was a good sermon, Pastor. Oh, yeah, Ooh, ah, I preached good. Right. I like that. Trust me, it's far better than going home going, man, I think everyone hated that sermon, right? It's, it's always good when you get that. But then at some point you realize, I gave them a good sermon, they still don't know, understand the text. See the difference? Okay, so, I, th- I, think, I just think that's very important. There's so many times it's easy to do that. So, pastors come along and we cra- craft sermons where we may find connections where there isn't a connection. We may point something out that's not actually there because it preaches good. I don't know if there's a connection between these two, two historical accounts. I think it's fascinating that they're back-to-back, but the text doesn't tell me why they're back-to-back. In fact, if, the te- if you were to try to derive from the text why these two stories are back-to-back, what's the best conclusion you could come with? Just the order in which they occur. Can everyone agree that that's probably how it would read? All right, so now we come to the text that was chosen for the youth in 2022. I don't really know why this text was chosen for the youth. I don't really understand, but okay. Let's take it apart. Right? How, does the, how does the verse begin? Acts 16, is, we're in verse 16 now. We've covered up verses 1 through 15, yes? All right, let's take it apart. Let's, are you ready? Here we go. Well, we're going to go where, where we are, right? We went through verses 1 through 15, yes? Well, we're, we, I'm going to go through. I'm going everything in order, right? 
Okay, so in other words, we're, we'll get what comes after, but I don't want to jump to what's after because then I think that then I, we're just going to go in the order that it's given. All right. But we will look at what's after. Right? We will look at what's after. Okay, we're up to verse 16. Everyone agree that that's where we are? All right, how does the text begin? Verse 16, it came to pass. And what does that mean? How, uh, let's do this. How does the NIV uses it came to pass? Once we were going, right? King James, it came to pass. Any other translations? Any other translations? Let's look, I'll use this one here. Acts 16, because I think this is important. Acts 16. Once, as we were on our way, uh, hang on, uh, yeah, once, as we were on our way to prayer, that's how this translation has it, right? How does yours have it? Okay. All right. So now, wh- why is this important? Because it seems to indicate that it's just following chronological order, right? Hey, so we had this experience with Lydia, and then once when we were on our way to prayer, does all the translations indicate they were on their way to prayer? All of them indicate that? So they're just on their way to prayer. In fact, it seems like, uh, so well, we could, we could draw a contrast with the Lydia story, but we won't, okay? So they're just on their way to prayer. Seems like it's, ran- it doesn't seem like the text is drawing some massive contrast here, does it? All right? So they're just on their way, and then what happens? A certain damsel. So we have a, a certain young unmarried woman. In this case, it's Emma, right? Is she named? Oh, okay. We have a slave girl mentioned. How many translations say that it's a slave girl? Now, you, it could be inferred. What could make it inferred that she was a slave? She has masters. All right. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. And I think that that, it may be inferred, right, because she has masters. All right. So possibly a slave. That's why she's probably not named. Lydia's named. Why would a slave not be named? Viewed more as a piece of property than a human, right? One of the horrible, horrible things about slavery, right, is that an entire group of people were treated as property instead of human beings, which destroys the whole idea of being created in the image of God. We could go through all the the issues. So, So that's fascinating, all right? Possibly a slave girl. And then what does it say? A damsel possessed. Now, what do we know by possessed? Look up the English word for possessed. We're going to work, we're going to work through this. We're going to be, we're going to be painstakingly, uh, like every word we're going to take apart. What, what's, what's the definition of possessed according to the English dictionary? English dictionary, Possessed. Right. Owned, completely controlled. So in other words, and I, and I think this is kind of fascinating. She's a slave two times over. That's kind of fascinating. She's completely owned by her masters, but she's completely owned by the spirit. What's the Greek word for possessed? 
Does it carry the same idea? Do we need to look it up? Everyone say, yeah, we need to look it up. Okay. All right. All right. Acts chapter 16. We're in verse 16 still, correct? All right. And the Greek word for possessed is, what is it? It is this Greek word. Everybody ready? Strong's G, 2192. Echo. Echo. All right. And guess what? It's used 712 times, all right? And it's translated have, which is interesting, be, need, right? That's not super helpful. The Strong's definition, there are so many things here, but uh, it, possession, ability, I mean, just so many different things here that it can go with. I mean, so many different things. Not super helpful. It can mean to have or to hold. Now, that makes sense, right? To have, to hold. If something is possessed, they have you, they hold you. Does that make sense? All right. What else? To have, to hold in the hand. The sense of wearing, possession of the mind. To hold fast, to keep, to have, own, possess. You can go through all of it. Basically, what does it mean? Something has you. Something owns you. Something controls you. They have you. Owns you. So this woman is owned by not only earthly masters, but by a spiritual master. Now, the thing that possesses her is called the spirit of divination. We need to understand the word divination, right? Let's do this. Before we, before we look it up in the Greek, you got a Bible dictionary, see if there's an entry for divination. Oh, well, in just a second, just a second. Okay, look up divination. If there's an entry for it, I don't know if there is. Right? Divination, tell me if there's an entry for it, and if there is, give me the page number. Divination, is there an entry for it? Okay, I do not see one in Nelson's. Does everyone agree or am I missing it? Okay, it says see magic, sorcery, and divination. So let's look up magic. Hang on and we'll see if that helps us. Do we have an entry for magic? Do we have an entry for magic? Let's see if we can become experts here really quick. Uh, okay, we have a lot here. Oh, oh, look at that. Okay, now there's a lot going on here. Magic, sorcery, and divination. Let's look at the first paragraph here in, in Nelson's. This is page 787. Tell me if you're there. 787? Does anybody need a dictionary? You got one? Okay. All right, here we go. Page 787. I'll let everyone get there. Oh, this is taking longer than I wanted, but that's okay. 787. All right. 787. All right, everybody there? Tell me when you're there. 787. All right. The demon-possessed girl got there first, probably because of supernatural abilities. Okay. <laughs> I know, but nobody else is saying anything. So I have to make them feel bad that a demon-possessed girl knows how to get to the Bible dictionary before they do. See, I'm, I'm, I'm manipulating. I'm using all the speech techniques, right? Okay. All right. Everybody ready? 
All right. Page 787. Magic, sorcery, and divination. Occult practices such as fortune-telling. Circle that one. That's interesting. Why is fortune-telling interesting? I don't know if you, in Abilene, if you drive down Butternut Street. <laughs> Palm reader, fortune teller. My dad went to that fortune teller when uh, we were young. He to, uh, she told him that my mother was going to die. Supposedly. I can't verify and claim and to be factual, but that's the story I was told. Right? That's interesting, huh? Now, why, why do fortune tellers, what do they do? Do they open their door free of charge? No, you go and you pay money to get your fortune. And why would you pay money to get your fortune? We want to know the unknown. We want to know the future. And let's be honest. Bible or fortune teller? If I could have the Bible and the fortune telling, that would be a great thing, right? Because I can read the Bible and understand a little bit about God. God gives us some things with the fortune, but he doesn't give any specific information about my fortune, right? Boy, where, what my future is going to look like. But if I can go to a fortune teller, that would be good. Just please note, fortune tellers give people's future for money. Keep that in mind. I think that's very important to understand. What is she possessed by? Which seems to involve fortune telling, which would be what, what kind of a thing? A profitable business. Go back to Acts chapter 16. Look for anything that, re- that demonstrates that money is being exchanged for her demon possession. Okay, which verse is that? Verse 16. Last sentence says, much gain. What happens when uh, the demon is cast out? Look at the, uh, like, 18 or 19. The hope. Of their gains was gone. Now remember the sermon that I reviewed called it Satan's Hopes. No, it sounds like the hope that's mentioned here is the hope of her earthly masters. They lost their money, seemingly to imply that her spirit of divination was being used for what purpose? To make money, not for her, but for them. That's kind of interesting, right? Yes? Okay. I just think that that's interesting. Kind of, just kind of fascinating. Let's continue reading. Fortune telling, next, and witchcraft, which were common among the pagan nations of the ancient world, but such attempts to control evil spirits was expressly forbidden to the Hebrew people. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 11 mentions the following specific occult practices that were forbidden by the law of Moses. All right. We see the passing of a son or daughter through the fire. Everybody see that? We see witchcraft. Everyone remember page 788 because we're going to need to see that in a minute. We have soothsaying. We have interpreting omens, sorcery, conjuring spells, consulting mediums, spiritism, calling up the dead. We don't have anything specific about divination. Agreed? Well, right. Yeah, we're going to look at soothsaying in a minute. What does your say about uh, divination and your dictionary? Okay, so it's the idea of obtaining secret knowledge about the future. What, what could we call this? Fortune telling. 
I want you to know exactly what's going on. She is possessed by a spirit that seems to give her information about the future. And guess what? That is profitable. Of all the things you can be possessed by, this would be the thing you want to be possessed by because you can be on television making some serious money. This is the one you want, right? I don't want the one making me spin my head around four times and throwing up horrible looking stuff. I want this one, right? Okay, agreed. Everyone should say, yeah, that would be the one to have, right? Could make money off of it. All right, so, so far so good. Go back to Acts 16. This is very important to the story. We have a woman, a damsel, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much by soothsaying. Now we need to figure out soothsaying. Soothsaying. Now, if we look back in the dictionary, remember I told you to, to remember the page? What is soothsaying? Soothsaying is a rel- relatively rare word in the Bible that describes some form of Divination, the practice of which is also described by the KJV as observer of times, because it sounds like a Hebrew word for cloud. Some scholars believe it refers to cloud reading. This may have been similar to tea leaf reading or astrology, which is reading of the stars. So what would this be used for? Signs that possibly relate to someone's future. Does that make sense? All right. Do, do you have anything different for soothsaying in your dictionary? The soothsayer was the pagan counterpart of the prophet. Prognosticating future events or protecting the future by Jerry and Okay. Future, future, future. Both words point to an ability to tell the future. And let me tell you, that's extremely profitable. Do you think it was more profitable in that time than in our time? It's still going on, but do you think it was more profitable at that time? Why was future knowledge of future events so important for this culture? Well, if you can know when it's going to rain or not going to rain, it may greatly impact how you uh, figure out what you're going to plant or when you're going to harvest, right? Yeah, very much a society based off that. Knowing that future, I mean, and, and for us, we have, you know, the... We have meteorology to try to determine what, how to understand these things. But if they, they didn't have that. They couldn't just turn on the weather. Right? So this would have been very, very important for their society. Not only that, what was also very, they were concerned about diseases. They were concerned, I mean, lifespan expectancy was not great. There was lots of issues here. So this would have been very, very critical for them. There was always threats of war and one nation conquering another nation. There was always issues that knowing the future would bring some sense of what? Security. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Don't we all have some anxiety sometimes about the future? What we typically do is try to forget about thinking about the future because we think about the future for five seconds. It creates anxiety because we immediately realize we don't know what the future is going to hold other than death. Right? That's the one thing we know. What's coming in the future? I'm going to die. When? Well, could be tomorrow. Could be today. Okay, well, that's not a pleasant thought. But if someone can come along and go, no, no, you got another 15 years. Whew, that makes me feel good, right? Yes? I mean, I'd be maybe mad, 15, come on, come on. If I pay you some more, can you get that up to 20, right? right? Okay, but we get the idea. 
So now we have a good picture of what's going on. Now here's where the story gets weird. Here's where the story gets really weird. So we got Emma back there, all right? So between Sunday school and Sunday morning, Emma will tell you your future, okay? I get the money, okay? So pay me, don't pay her, right? Okay, but we get the idea. Those listening online, she's not really telling the future and we're not really exchanging money, okay? Well, I mean, we may exchange money, but okay. All right, verse 17. The same. Who is the same? The girl. She followed Paul and us. Who is the us? All right, Timotheus, Silas, right? The people that are with him. Going, and these are people who are what? Somewhat well known for their preaching. Now, here's the question. I got to ask this question. Why is she following? Stacy gave an answer. What is everybody else's answer? Why is she following? Okay. Janice saying because the masters wanted her to. Okay. All right. So, in other words, some of you are looking at this, maybe, very cynical, that the masters are like, go follow them. Now, why? Why, why would they want them following them? Okay, that's, that's where the, the buzz is. That's the, that's the new influencers, right? Paul and these guys are the influencers of that age. They don't have TikTok. They don't have, they don't have Instagram, but they, they're, the, they're the influencers. And guess what? Where people are, I mean, if you're, if you're in the business of telling uh, fortunes, where, what do you need? You need people. Right? So th- that's one argument that the, that the masters put her there. There's another argument. Okay, now we have, I love this. I love this so much about Christianity. The same text and two drastically different ways of reading this. Janice and Stacy are like, no, the masters have them there. Stephen is like, no, the spirit has them there. So the only one who can really tell us is the demon-possessed girl, so we have to ask Emma. So who, who has you here? Oh, Emma has a different thought. That, is this the demon or is this, okay? People listening online like, what is going on in that church? Okay, It's illustration, people. It's illustration. You don't have to agree with your dad. Okay. So she's following to contradict? Okay, all right. Emma thinks that she's following to contradict. All right, we'll, we'll see if that plays out. Right. Anybody else have a, a thought here? This is your opportunity. Now, if you already listened to the, to the podcast, you already know that there is, I, I, I'm being very careful not to, li- I'm trying not to lead you to a conclusion. Does that, is, now, Stacy already knows, because she cheats, but, but the rest of you, okay, 
Y'all yeah, yeah, just ignore me, right? And the only reason she knows is because I came downstairs and said, this is what I just talked about. So she didn't have a choice, right? She didn't have a choice to listen, right? I just came down like, I'm going to do the podcast again, okay? All right. But, so she didn't have a choice, but everyone else, you, you, you I'm, I'm speaking to no one who has a clue what I talked about. So this is good because I'm trying not to lead you, right? So many sermons lead you to the conclusion, and then you think that you got the conclusion from the Bible when in reality you got the conclusion from whom? From me, and that, I hate that. I don't want me to give you the conclusion. So let's go through our possibilities while we're running out of time. All right, here we go. Possibility number one, the, war, the, the, the demon-possessed Emma is following Paul because the masters are like, hey, there goes the business. Get the going, right? That right there. Others are like, no, no, no. The spirit made her go, oh, got to go follow Paul. Emma's saying, no, the d- spirit is like, go follow Paul. So you can contradict Paul, right? We got, we got three different views. Anybody got a fourth? Okay. She's going with a complete, I, I love this, right? A completely different perspective that maybe, is this her, just her own mind wanting to follow Paul because maybe she thinks Paul may have salvation to get me out of this mess. That's a, that's a completely, that's a very uh, positive way of looking at it. The rest of you are very jaded and, and, but she's looking at a more positive way. We always need the positive person to be there somewhere, okay, all right? All right? Now, please note, this is what I love about Christianity. How many texts do we have here? What do we got so far? Four. <laughs> and I, I, I love that. I love that, right? Now, in some ways, that drives me crazy. But on another way, it just reminds me, when people disagree with me, whatever, right? Because guess what? So what? You disagree. There's 50 other people who disagree. Why is your disagreement more important than the other 50? Right? Because every text has... So many different ways of reading it. It's sometimes maddening, but in other ways, to me, it's now freed me. Like, you disagree, I don't really care anymore. Like, I used to care. But now I'm like, what difference does it make? I can argue all day. Doesn't matter. Okay, but here we go. So, four different ways. Now, what verse are we in, in the text? 17. So far, we have that she's following Paul. Now, here's where it gets weird. Let's see if this eliminates anything. Now, this is where Emma would be standing up and screaming this out. Emma's following them, and all of a sudden, Emma screams out. Everyone read it. What does she scream out? These men are the servants of God, the most high God, which show us the way of salvation. Now, immediately, that shows she's not contradicting Paul. All right, so now, the demon, now we know why we don't listen to demon-possessed women. Right? Okay, because clearly, what? She doesn't seem to be contradicting. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, but we've heard her preach before that she's saying that. Oh, well, yeah, we'll get to, well, we're going to get to that next, okay? But, so that would at least seem to indicate that she's not contradicting. Okay? She's not contradicting. Right? Well, we didn't ask the dog what, what the, the dog thought. Maybe the dog has a good idea. I hear, I hear the dog moving around. Okay, she's like, I've got an idea. Someone listen to me. Okay, all right. All right, maybe the dog has a good idea. All right, but here we go. Oh, what'd she say? 
<laughs> yeah, the dog's like, help me, help me, please, get me away from, okay, all right, I, I've got you, I'll, I'll, I'll free you after the service, okay, all right, and people are like, there's a dog in the service, I know, this church is completely broken, okay, but that's all right, all right, here we go. People listening online, they have no, they, they, their, their way of, the way they view things is probably so, we have a Pope, we've got demon possessed, we've got all kinds of things going on here. All right, here we go. How do we understand her words? Now, we, we already have four different ways of reading why she's following them. Now we've got to figure out all the different ways of reading these words. But we have to stop right there. No, that's, the, that's what's called it. That's called a tease. That's how you keep people listening. Okay? No, this will be the next hour. Okay. All right. Okay. No, I can't, I can't push it to next week because we're already behind on 50 other things. Okay. But we've got to figure this out. All right. So start thinking because in the very next hour, we've got to figure out all the different ways that we read these words. Because trust me, nobody agrees on the next part. Nobody agrees on the next part. All right? Do, do, do you, now you, and I want you to think of all the ways you've heard it preached. Think of all the ways you've heard it preached, because I've heard so many sermons on this. It's not even funny. Right? This is your first sermon ever? Really? Well, now, there's lots of studies there. All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll cover that in the next hour. But Stacy's just leaving. <laughs> okay. Stacy's like, I'm done with this. I don't even care anymore. Stacy's like just standing up in the middle of the sermon. Like, I'm walking out. I don't even care. Right? This is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. Okay. Okay. Like, all right. That's okay. That, that's, that's, when, that's when you're being told by someone in the congregation, you're done. Okay. You're done. Just stop talking. Because I, I, that's, uh, I, I've had lots of experiences as a pastor. Now, that's, that's a new one. Just someone standing up going, nope, you're done. Just stop. Okay, all right. Now we will pray, all right? Is that okay with everyone? Okay, I hope so. Okay, all right, maybe I can. Here we go, all right. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to try to take this text apart. Um, in many places, we would not be taking it apart this way. Please never let me preach sermons at the expense of the text, but sacrifice the sermon for the text. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,